You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. But again, we see the importance of the Word of God to Peter. Peter doesn't just try to explain that this phenomenon is something that had a physical explanation. Did you ever watch these crazy channels on TV, like History Channel and National Geographic? They always try to explain away God's miracles by natural causes. You ever see those things? They drive me crazy because they always have, well, you know, they passed when Moses took them to the Red Sea, you know, it was a, it was a reed sea and it was only this high and there must have been some wind blowing. So naturally, well, that's not what the scripture says. In Peter's sermon in Acts 2, he explains to the crowd what they are seeing. The signs and wonders they are seeing was actually a prophecy from the book of Joel. In today's message, Pastor Dave will be sharing about the word of God and its importance when explaining the miraculous things they saw. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he begins his message, Peter's Sermon, Part 1. We're in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 2. So please turn in chapter 2 into the book of Acts. Acts 2, verses 14 through 21. But Peter, standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass, and in the last days, says our God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor or smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a man named Andrew Meekin. Andrew was a member of an evangelical church in Addis Ababa, that's in Ethiopia. Andrew was a very soft-spoken man, unlike me, who's loud and obnoxious. Andrew was on his way to a Bible conference far away from Ethiopia, so in order to get there, he had to take an airplane. On this particular flight aboard were 163 passengers, 12 crew members. Also, there were several hijackers. They eventually overtook the plane. As it turned out, these hijackers bungled their plans for this hijacking. They underestimated the fuel needed to reach their destination. Unfortunately, they didn't have enough fuel. So they announced to the passengers that they were going to crash land the plane into water to making an emergency landing. Now, Andrew was not a preacher, and Andrew had never given the gospel message before. But in those anxious moments, right before this plane went down, Andrew stood in the midst of the passengers who were frightened, who were anxious, and he seized the opportunity to share the gospel message. After sharing the message, he quickly gave an invitation for the people to respond to what he had said. 
A flight attendant who survived the crash tells the story that at least 20 people received Jesus Christ after the invitation had been given. 20 people ushered in the kingdom of God by a person who realized that death was but a moment away and also realized that time was way too short. This person not wanting that anyone should perish without having the chance to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Andrew Meekin seized this opportunity. Now, I'm sure you're probably thinking, okay, Dave, the next time I'm on a, on a plane and it's going down, I'm sure I'll do the same thing. I think under the circumstances, we all would feel a sense of urgency, wouldn't you think? You'd agree that there would be a sense of urgency in our lives? And, you know, you're probably right. But today, in our text, Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, seizes an opportunity to share the gospel message to those men that have gathered in the temple. He takes an opportunity that has come before him, led by the Holy Spirit, nudged by the Holy Spirit, and he wants to talk to these same men who have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. These same men who have come, obeying the commands of God and doing what God had commanded them to do on that day, Pentecost, which was a Sunday, we talked about that, they were seeking God. These are the men that heard the sound as of a rushing wind. These are the men that also heard the wonders of God being spoken of by the Galileans in their own native languages. And they were marveled and they were amazed. They couldn't understand what was happening. These men, unbeknownst to them, had been called to this very place, to this very time. They've been called by God's providential hand. They've been called into this very place in this very time so that they could be assembled here to receive what God had for them today, which was salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, we know there was over 3,000 of them, because at the end of Peter's great sermon, 3,000 of them come to the knowledge of Jesus and are born again. The new church blossoms and is growing mightily. But God assembled them. He prepared their hearts to receive a message that the Lord wanted to give them. Now it was time for Peter to stand up and answer the question, whatever could this mean? We talked about that in Acts 2, verse 12. He was going to respond to their criticism. Ah, you know what? They're full of new wine, Acts 2, 13. Peter was going to declare to them now the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was going to declare to them that a new time has begun, a new day, if you will, a new way of relating to God. The age of grace had opened. The age of grace has come upon us. The age of grace still exists today, still is going on today, as we speak. Look what it says in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Peter stands and shouts above the crowd. He calls to them, men of Judah, all those who are here in Jerusalem, you need to know this and heed my words. He tells them to take notice, to listen carefully, to heed his words. In the old King James, it says, hearken to my voice. And hearken just means listen carefully. It means pay attention. Know what God is trying to do. Peter was getting ready to explain to them what occurred according to God's word. And he needed their attention. He didn't want any distraction to come in their lives. I don't know about you. It probably doesn't happen to you because you guys are much holier than I am. But when I sit down to read God's word, when I sit down to pray, when I get comfortable in God's word and I open up his word, phone rings. Somebody knocks at the door. My lovely wife wants me something from me. Not her fault, but she just happens to want something at that time. 
crazy cat comes in and bugs the snot out of me. Something always happens when I sit down to study God's Word. Why is that? Well, it's because we have an adversary, and he doesn't want us to know God's Word. He doesn't want us to be in God's Word, and he's going to do everything he can to distract you from hearing God's Word. He wants you to be distracted because he knows if he can get you off task, you won't remember what you read. You won't even remember where you are. And sometimes he does this to me, and I don't even know who I am. It's kind of crazy. You're wandering around, but the distractions are terrible. He takes our thoughts away from us, and we want to stay our thoughts on him. But when we're listening to God's word, when we're teaching God's word, it's so important for us not to have distractions. It's so important that God's word be given to us in a clear and concise way, in a way that we can understand. It's difficult to hear God's word. This is why we have a children's ministry. It's difficult to hear God's word because when the children are fidgeting and fussing, your attention is on them, and so it should be. I love kids. I love kids. I love my grandkids. I don't get to see them enough. I love having kids running through the church and doing things. I love that atmosphere. God's Word is so important, and we get distracted. God wants to speak to your heart today. He wants to speak right into your heart today. And the slightest distraction could cause you to miss exactly what God wants wants you to hear today. Peter said, Take heed, guys. Pay attention to me, please. Will you please pay attention? I want to talk to you. I have something to say. Peter was getting ready to explain what has occurred, what is happening, what is going on in this temple. Sometimes distractions get us the best of us. We need to concentrate on what the Spirit is going to say to us in the church. So Peter asks for their attention, tells them to listen carefully. Peter knows the value of what he's about to say. Is it Charles Stanley that every time he's talking, he says, now listen, now listen, it's because something important's coming, and he's trying to get you to focus on what he's saying. He says, now listen. Peter knows the value of what he's about to say. He doesn't want to miss a single item. Did you ever think of yourself when this was happening? Why Peter? Why did Peter stand in front of them all and give this great sermon that we're going to talk about? Why do you think Peter was chosen to deliver this message? Well, for one thing, when I think about it, Peter was always first. He was always first. Remember, he was the first out of the boat on two occasions. First out of the boat to walk on water until he saw that it was water and he started to sink. First out of the boat when they saw Jesus on the shore, it's the Lord. He gets out and he starts swimming to him. First one to open his mouth, good and bad. And he was the first person that drew a sword and cut off Malchus's ear in the garden, wasn't he? Peter was always first. So why not Peter? And after all these firsts that Peter had, He was the one that proclaimed, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death in Luke 22, 33. After this great proclamation, this same Peter denied Jesus three times. One of those times he was so afraid because the accusations of a maidservant around the fire that as he was denying Jesus, he cursed to make himself look like he really wasn't that person. But that was 50 days ago before this happened. 50 days is a long time. This may have been the same Peter physically, but it was by no means the same Peter spiritually. Something had happened. Something had changed. The Holy Spirit had come. Peter was now overflowing with rivers of living water. That's just as Jesus predicted in John 7, verses 37 to 39. It says, on the day of the feast. And by the way, if you remember when Carol Joseph was here, she said that when Jesus said these words, it was the Feast of Pentecost they were celebrating. So Jesus was almost prophesying that this would come about on this particular day. So he says, on the last day of the feast, 
Jesus stood and cried, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And the word there is torrents. Torrents of living water would flow forth. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was prophesying that this exactly would happen. Peter had boldness because he had the Holy Spirit. He had boldness to speak because the Holy Spirit had come upon him. He needed this boldness because now he was facing some of these guys. And guess what? 50 days ago, they were celebrating another feast. It was called Passover. And a lot of these people were there. So some of the people that Peter's now going to talk to were responsible for crucifying Jesus. He was going to say the very same things to them that they crucified Jesus for. He needed boldness. And some of these men may have been around that fire when he denied the Lord. So he has that to deal with, and he might have been afraid. You know, I'd have been afraid to let these men see them. You know what it's like. You know what it's like in your life when you try to go back to the crowd you once walked with? Your life has changed so much because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They look at you like you have six heads. Why aren't you having fun? Why? Because I'm not jumping on tables, making cussing remarks, and trying to flirt with everyone's wife means I'm not having fun? I'm having the time of my life, but you've changed so much. Why? Because I'm not drunk? I have changed. My life is wonderful now. I don't need all those other things. Just like Andrew Meekin in the airplane that day, Peter saw this as a matter of life and death. Oh, maybe these guys weren't going to die imminently as they did on that plane that day. But these men all would die nevertheless, just as you and I will all go to heaven and meet our maker. We will all die unless the Lord comes. Peter knew that this was a fight for their eternal status. Eternal salvation was now at stake. And Peter was up to the challenge. This is Peter's first and probably of, first of several sermons, and probably considered his best for several reasons. First of all, it was very simple and easy to understand. By now, Peter is speaking in Aramaic. He's no longer speaking in tongues of other languages, unknown languages. He is speaking in Aramaic, and Aramaic is a language that all understood. Everyone understood him, so it was simple and it was clear. He was not speaking in the unknown tongues at this point. In fact, when Paul writes his first letter to the Corinthians... He says an interesting fact about speaking in tongues in verse 14, in chapter 14, verses 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all, yet in church, I would rather speak five words with understanding that I might preach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Very interesting words spoken by Paul. You need to learn about God in the language that you understand, in the language that is given to you, the language that you understand. I'm sure they're looking for translators down in Panama so that they can translate the Word of God into the particular languages of these indigenous Indians or whatever language they might speak so that they can hear the Word of God in their own tongue, in their own language, and know it to be truth. Peter is now teaching others about Jesus. His sermon is very simple. Peter answered their question. He told them about Jesus Christ, and he gave them a chance to respond. Very simple, very forward. Not only was this simple, but it was scriptural. Notice in verse 16, Peter says, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He then quotes Joel 2, 28 to 32. Later in his sermon, he's going to quote Psalms, 
quoting David in Psalm 16 and quoting David in Psalm 110. So remember what we talked about being biblically based? Peter's sermon was certainly biblically based. It was based on scripture that he knew. Peter uses the scripture to answer the question about the phenomena that the men had seen. What was that sound and why is everybody speaking in my language? Why can I hear the wonders of God in my own language? Peter was going to answer that question. This sermon of Peter's was also Christ-centered. Peter speaks the name of Jesus several times and calls him Lord. He refers to God as the one who made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now the word Christ in Greek is Christos. In Hebrew, is Messiah. The anointing one of God, the anointed one. And believe me, remember the scripture said these were Jews, they were in the temple. Every one of these men knew exactly what the word Christos and the word Messiah meant. They knew who Peter was talking about and referring to. The men are studying Calvary Chapel distinctives on Monday night. Tomorrow night we're, we're, we're in chapter 5. One of the things that makes Calvary Chapel distinct is the centrality of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our main focus. He's the main thing that we concentrate on. We believe in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. We always want to keep Jesus at the focus of our church. We always want to keep Jesus as the focus of our worship. We always want to keep Jesus in the forefront of everything we do, of everything we say and everything we are. We have our example, Jesus Christ. It was Christ-centered. It was scriptural. It was simple. It was convincing. The scripture says that the men heard his testimony and they were cut to the heart and convicted by the Holy Spirit, causing them to ask, what shall we do? I mean, that's, that's the witnesses, the person who witnesses dream. It's the evangelist's dream is that after you get finished describing the gospel message that someone had said, well, what do I do? Oh, are you kidding me? That's what everybody wants to hear. So Peter's sermon drew them. It convinced them that they needed something. It convinced them that they needed Jesus Christ. The sermon was also practical. He began answering the question, what does this mean, from verse 12, and he ends by answering another question, what shall we do? In between, he tells them about Jesus. This is a very matter-of-a-fact, point-point sermon. Peter's sermon was attention-getting and relevant. Peter got their attention and got straight to the point. He told the crowd, we're not drunk. We've had nothing to drink because it's on Pentecost holiday. We haven't done the sacrifices yet. The law of Moses says that they had to do the sacrifices before they ate and drank anything. Traditionally, this means that the sacrifices were at least an hour away since it's the nine, nine o'clock in the morning. It's the third hour. The sacrifices were at least an hour away, which means they weren't going to eat for at least another two hours. And they only had wine when they ate. So they couldn't possibly be drunk with new wine, as some had asked. But well, we want to look through these scriptures today in verses 16 through 41, all the way down. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at what specifically made this sermon Peter's great. He identifies three things that needed to be attended to. He needed to explain what had happened and why. He needed to explain about Jesus, and he needed to get them to the point where they were ready to respond, as I had said. We're only focusing on verses 16 through 21 today. Peter answers this question, whatever could this mean? Again, we see Peter's knowledge of the Scripture as he correctly applies what was said by the prophet Joel to what the 120 believers did and what the other men saw and heard. 
Peter correctly applies this. Peter explains that those gathers there, what they had witnessed was none other than a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. This is important because his prophecy decides and describes for us an entire new age, an entire new age that's being ushered in by the Holy Spirit. And I told you, it's the age of grace. In verses 17 and 18, we begin this prophecy. And then it shall come to pass in the last days, says our God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men, servants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I always look at this and I always go, wait a minute. Your young men shall dream, your, your, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Am I having visions or dreams? Let me see. I have to think about that sometime. Check out all my age limit there. But again, we see the importance of the word of God to Peter. Peter doesn't just try to explain that this phenomenon is something that had a physical explanation. Did you ever watch these crazy channels on TV, like History Channel and National Geographic? And these? They always try to explain away God's miracles by natural causes. You ever see those things? They drive me crazy because they always have, well, you know, they passed when Moses took them to the Red Sea, you know, it was, a, it was a reed sea and it was only this high and there must have been some wind blowing. So naturally, well, that's not what the scripture says. Does this much drown Pharaoh's entire army? I don't know. Anyhow, I love those things when it goes on TV. It drives me crazy. But Peter says there's not a physical explanation. There's a spiritual explanation. He takes them right to God's word. When Paul was writing young Timothy, we've used this scripture before. He explains to him the importance of the word of God, the importance of the knowledge coming from the word of God, and the importance of applying that knowledge to your lives. Something that is extremely important to us even today. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. What's it profitable? Doc- for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction for righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God. The word of God is what changes our lives. What prepares us for the work that we're to do? It's the word of God that prepared Peter to do this good work as he's being nudged by the Holy Spirit. We spoke of this so many different times. The scriptures can be our guide for all who are seeking God and wanting to live a life dedicated to him, equipping them for every good work. Peter knows all too well the feeling of being separated from God. And Peter knows very well what it's like to be brought back into the relationship with Jesus, with God through Jesus Christ. He knows redemption. He knows joy because he's experienced firsthand the joy, the joy that comes from that. So Peter's being led by the Holy Spirit. He speaks out, and he's using Scripture to answer the questions. Notice Peter didn't have any prep time. Makes me look like a pulper. I spent a couple days preparing for messages. Peter didn't have any prep time. He didn't have any concordances. He didn't have any commentaries. He just stands up and gives this message. We don't know how long it takes, and he uses the Word of God. He has it memorized and he uses the Word of God, and he tells the people about Jesus Christ. You are Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? 
he met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope.